Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. You know, I love this depiction of the Lord's Prayer because it reminds us of a, of a critical truth. It's a truth that we need to always remember. The kingdom of God is not contained by borders. As you see the video of all those different races and, and ethnicities gathered together in prayer, we need to remember that very much. The Sermon on the Mount functions as a manifesto for the kingdom of God, reminding us about the, the magnitude of the kingdom of God. Right here in the middle of Jesus' sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, we encounter this, this profound teaching on prayer. Again, this is all here in the context of chapter 5, verse 20, where we're told that our righteousness must surpass the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And as kingdom citizens who, who pray, it's important that we know both how we should pray and how we shouldn't pray. Uh, we've already been given a couple of examples by Jesus of, of how not to pray. We, we ought not pray like the, the, like the religious hypocrites who, who like to stand in the, in the public places to, to wow those who were listening to them. They want to impress people by their spirituality. Likewise, we, we shouldn't pray like the, the pagans who, who repeat meaningless words and phrases hoping to hit that right combination or that magic word that will move their deity to action. Now, we know we all have a tendency to do those things, that, that we, we fall into equal and opposite errors when it comes to our patterns of prayer. And so Jesus has given us ways not to pray, but it's now time to ask the question, how exactly should kingdom citizens pray? How exactly should kingdom citizens pray? Pray. And so when you pray, not if you pray, pray then like this, Jesus says. Today our scripture reading is in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. I would invite you to stand with me as we read these words. The likelihood is high that this is, if you have any scripture memorized, this is probably one of them. Jesus says, beginning in verse 9, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, we are grateful for the model prayer, the Lord's prayer given to us in the Sermon on the Mount. We ask that you might... Help us, God, to understand not just the, the words, but the intention behind the model prayer. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. In spite of the fact that the Lord's Prayer is likely the, the most widely memorized passage in the Bible, it doesn't come without some degree of, of confusion. One of the reasons that there's confusion is because the Lord's Prayer appears in two places. It appears both in the, in the sixth chapter of Matthew's Gospel and in the eleventh chapter of Luke's Gospel. 
But in both of those places, it's not exactly like the, it's the same story that's told in different locations. The, the Lord's Prayer, the text of the Lord's Prayer actually appears in, in two different contexts. Now, now, critics are very quick to point out that it's given to us in these, in these two different contexts. Therefore, if it's two different contexts, but it's the same teaching, then, then clearly the Bible must have some errors in it and not be trustworthy. Now, you could go there. I prefer to take the, take the stance that, that perhaps Jesus taught the same lesson in a couple of different ways. I've, I've taught on the Lord's Prayer before. Not, not in here in this context. I've taught on the Lord's Prayer on Wednesday night before. So, so someone could look at me and say, well, he's clearly uh, not trustworthy. He's taught the same thing in two different places. No, I, I've just taught in two different places. And so it's very likely that Jesus is giving the same lesson in a couple of different ways. Now, the first place that he teaches this is here in Matthew's Gospel, the sixth chapter, in the, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. It was part of a larger body of teaching. It's part of this, this great sermon that we've been looking at for the last few months. The second time he taught it, though, was in Luke chapter 11. And it was a very different situation. In that passage in Luke chapter 11, Jesus was praying. He was taking time in prayer, and his disciples were watching Jesus pray. And in response to what they saw, they came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. In other words, we see you praying. We see how you're talking to your Father. We want to receive the same. We want to understand how you do that so that when we pray, we are praying the same way. And so, again, Jesus responds to that request by giving them the, the model prayer. And it's not exactly the same in both places. It's not like the Lord's Prayer was given to us as a liturgy to repeat. There's nothing wrong with memorizing the Lord's Prayer. There's nothing wrong with reciting the Lord's Prayer. There's nothing wrong with congregations reciting the Lord's Prayer. Unless your pastor's about to tell you when it's wrong to say the Lord's Prayer. Unless the Lord's Prayer becomes a violation of the principle that he just taught in verse 7. Back in verse 7, what did Jesus say? When you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard by their many words. If the Lord's Prayer is simply you reciting words with no meaning, then you're violating what Jesus has already said, and so then it would be inappropriate to pray the Lord's Prayer because you're just using empty words and empty phrases. In fact, we understand that one of the earliest Christian discipleship guides, we have Sunday school literature and discipleship guides, and we, we didn't just think that up. It's been, it's been around a long time. Matter of fact, the first generation of Christians after Jesus got together and they wrote a discipleship guide. It's called the Didache. That wouldn't get published today. It's, we don't know what it means. But that discipleship guide actually suggested that you recite the Lord's Prayer three times a day as, a, as an individual believer. Again, if you pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that as long as you're treating the words with the significance they deserve. So if you reciting the Lord's Prayer is simply you doing something you've always done, if it's just words that you memorize and you throw them up in the air every once in a while to see what sticks, that's not the point of the Lord's Prayer. But if the words of the text, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. If those words mean something, if those words carry significance in your heart, then you pray that prayer all day, every day. That's the point Jesus wants us to make. 
So I think it's important for us to pay attention uh, to how Jesus introduces the, the Lord's Prayer to us in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, pray like this. He doesn't say pray this. He says pray like this. It's just important. That means that this is a model. This is a, 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 a description of what prayer for a kingdom citizen ought to look like. And so the Lord's Prayer is designed as this model. Rather than, uh, today, rather than going through each phrase, I want to take a very high-level look at the Lord's Prayer in order that we might glean some of the principles that are contained therein to help inform our own personal and corporate prayer lives. Now, again, if you want detailed information on each, each phrase of the Lord's Prayer, there's some great resources available. As a matter of fact, on Right Now Media, uh, there's, a, there's a series on the Lord's Prayer that Albert Moeller put out. It's, through, it's 12 lessons through the Lord's Prayer, and it walks phrase by phrase through each, each part of the Lord's Prayer. It's in the uh, Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church section on Right Now Media, if you want to go and, and look at that. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, but I don't want to go verse by verse or, or word by word or phrase by phrase through the Lord's Prayer today. I want to look at it from a very high-level perspective so that the model teaches us how then we should pray. And the first thing the model does is that the model prayer binds us together as kingdom citizens. The model prayer binds us together as kingdom citizens. One of the key features of the Lord's Prayer is the fact that it is prayed in the first person plural. What do I mean? That Jesus begins with our, not my. Jesus begins the Lord's Prayer with our Father, not my Father. There's no doubt that Jesus was praying to his Father. But here in this model that he has given to us, he is encouraging us to remember that the kingdom is made up of we, not me. The kingdom is made up of, of, of us as kingdom citizens. Now, we understand that part of that collection is a collection of individuals, but the model prayer begins with a challenge to remind us that it is about us, not me. Right off the bat, we need to see that Jesus' model prayer is absolutely revolutionary to our modern American sensibilities. Everything about us screams about our autonomy and our rugged individualism. Even in our modern Christian churches, we find that people are driven by personal experience. We evaluate a worship service on the basis of our individual perception. Uh, if it, it was a good day in church, if I liked the music, not if the music honored the Lord. It was a good day in church if it was a Goldilocks sermon. You know what a Goldilocks sermon is? It's a sermon that's not too short, but not too long. It's not too cold, but it's not too hot. It's not too boring, but it's not too exciting. That's a Goldilocks sermon, and, and everybody walks out happy with a Goldilocks sermon. And we look at that Goldilocks sermon and say, it's a good day in church. The preacher preached a good sermon. It didn't get on my toes too much, but it sure got on my neighbor's toes. I absolutely find it amazing that the first word of the model prayer is about us, not I. And you see it repeated throughout. It never changes. It's our Father. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. It's repeated throughout. It is about us, not me. And so the first word of the Lord's Prayer challenges each and every single one of us to take a very hard look at our own faith. I would ask the question, how important 
is the hour in our Father. I would argue that the more we've allowed consumerism into our church bodies, the less important the O-U-R has become. The model prayer is a much-needed corrective to that tendency. The second thing the model prayer does for us is, is it binds us together as family. The first word reminds us that we are a community, but the second word reminds us that we are a family, our Father. Let the significance of that sink in for a moment. Not only are we praying in community, our, we are praying in community with Jesus to our Father. This is a profound statement. If you are praying the Lord's Prayer and you don't get stopped at Father, then you've missed it. Our Father. Jesus is telling us to look to the almighty maker of heaven and earth, the creator of everything. He is asking us to look at this incredible deity with whom unshielded eyes without the grace of God, we would not be able to behold him. And he is asking us to address him as father. And we throw this out from rote memory without giving significance to the meaning of the word. Our Father. It is a statement of our new identity in Christ. But I found that in prayer we treat this like it's akin to dial on the telephone. I gotta wake him up. And so let me let me call his name out so he'll pay attention to me. Father, are you listening? Father, wake up, it's me again. Jesus is calling us to something so much greater. We repeat the phrase as if it's to gain God's attention. But saying our Father paints a greater picture of this connection. Father is more than just a title. It's more than just God's name. It's a declaration of our familial relationship, both with one another, but that familiar relationship goes much deeper than just the people seated in this room. Over in Mark chapter 3, Jesus was in a house with his disciples. His family was probably starting to get a little worried about him. He has just recently began his public ministry, and hostility was starting to heat up. And just like any mama, she's a little worried about her son. And so they come to track him down, and they go to Jesus and say, Jesus, your family's out here. And Jesus says something in Mark chapter 3, verse 32. So there was a crowd sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside. They're looking for you. And he answered them, Who are my mother? And my brothers. And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. You see, when we trust in Christ, we are adopted into God's family across time and space. And every single time we open our mouths and we utter the first two words of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, we are declaring our status as adopted children and part of the family of God. Since the model prayer affirms our place in the family, it brings us back to this first point, that radical individualism that exists in today's Christianity. It's not reflected in the Scripture. It's our Father. It's our family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, yet we live in this strange world where there's this idea that bouncing from church to church because of grief or because of this problem or that problem, that's what happens today. Yet that notion is absolutely foreign to the Bible. 
Imagine doing this with your family. You decide to skip your family get-together this year and go visit someone else's family because someone else's family get-together has better gifts and better food. If you did that and you knocked on the door, who are you? Well, I don't like my family anymore. I'm going to come to your family. You would really be looked at strangely. Maybe they're hospitable and let you in. But that's, that's, that's so bizarre. Yet that's what happens today so many times. You know, I believe that there's so many churches that are dying today, not, not because of COVID-19. I'm sure that that's going to be the, the case long term. But I think most churches that, that are struggling, they have forgotten the familial bonds that exist in the body of Christ. They've forgotten how to care for one another in the family of God. You see, when you reduce the body of Christ to a business that simply exists to gain customers, you shouldn't be surprised when that body begins to die. Because the church doesn't look for customers to earn. It looks for brothers and sisters to adopt. We pray our Father, not our deity, not our God. We pray our Father. You know, one of the best ways to ensure a healthy family is to pray for one another. That's true at home. It's true in the church as well. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor during World War II, worked to overthrow Hitler before he was martyred. He said this in his, in his seminal book on Christian community. He said, A Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another, or it collapse. I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. His face, that hitherto may have been strange and, and, and intolerable to me, is transformed in intercession into the countenance of a brother for whom Christ died, the face of a forgiven sinner. You know, every month we send out a calendar with birthdays and anniversaries of our church family. What if we agreed that when we send those calendars out that, that we would pray for one another when our names show up on that calendar? What if we just said, you know, today is, is so-and-so's birthday, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for so-and-so, and, and I'm going to pray serious prayers for so-and-so, not just God bless so-and-so, but, but I'm going to pray sincere, heartfelt prayers as brothers praying for brothers and sisters praying for sisters, praying that God would bind our hearts together as family. I've heard in recent weeks, as more people have regathered from the coronavirus quarantine, I've heard this be said. I've overheard it, and I've heard it said through other people. Who's that? Who's that person? I've never met that person before. When did they start coming? I've got a radical notion for you today. Instead of talking about that person to somebody else, take the bold, earth-shattering step of going and finding out firsthand. It's revolutionary, I know, asking us to go talk to people that we may not have ever met before. But it'll change people's lives. What if we decided just on so-and-so's birthday, I'm praying for him? Man, I'll tell you what, if I knew that everybody was praying for me on my birthday, I'd get out of bed that day, I'd be walking on, on, on cloud nine, knowing, that, knowing that, that hundreds of people on that day were lifting me up to the Lord. I wouldn't go play the lottery that day. I mean, I'm not that crazy, but, but man, I'd, I'd be excited knowing that this day everybody's praying for me. Can you imagine? 
Can you imagine? And then come to church on Sunday and somebody, everybody looks at you and says, you know, I prayed for you on Tuesday. Man, what a, what a community that would be. What, a, what an experience that would be. Because after all, we're family. It's not our God who is in heaven. It's not our deity who is in heaven. It's not, it's not some other name. It's our Father. He's your Father. He's my Father. We pray to Him together. He is our Father. We've been adopted. We are brothers and sisters. We are brothers and sisters with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are princes and princesses of the kingdom of God. And the first two words of the model prayer emphasize that so perfectly. But thirdly, the model prayer reminds us of our priorities. Notice the order in which Jesus gives us this prayer. First, there are three kingdom-centered requests made. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Make your name holy is what that means. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Those are, those are all three kingdom-centered prayers that were offered in the very first part of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, make your name holy, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've never gotten to a personal need yet. We've not asked for the first thing. We've simply declared that God is our Father and we want to see the kingdom make itself known in our world. Listen, if you don't want the kingdom of God to show up today, you've not been watching the news or paying attention to the world that you're living in. Only after those petitions are made do we get to our necessities. Give us this day our daily bread. Asking for our basic needs. I believe the principle is not just for food. I believe it's for all those necessities that we need. If you need a job, it may be that that's a place where you ask God for, for, your, for your career, for your job. Basic needs to be met. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Asking for forgiveness of sins. And then lastly, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Asking for God's protection. Order reflects priority. You ever been to a church covered dish and you watch people? Long, let me back up. A long time ago, we used to have these things called covered dishes. It's where everybody prepared food in their house and then they brought it here and we all shared the same spoons and, and all kinds of those, those kind of strange things. Nobody wore a mask. It was a, it was a big time. Okay. You ever been to the covered dish, though, and you, you just sit and watch, and you see those folks go to the dessert table first? You know what they're doing. They're going to the dessert table first because they, if they don't, they might not get what they're looking for. My wife, just, just, for, just for the record, uh, she made a banana pudding last week. I'm just going to brag. That used golden vanilla uh, Oreo cookies instead of uh, vanilla wafers. And so if you see her banana pudding on a table at some future covered dish, you better, you better get in line because I'll be there first. Order reflects priority. People go to the dessert table first because we know why. That's where it matters. That's, you, want that, you want the good stuff. All the other stuff, that's just, that's just to get you ready for dessert. It's appetizers to get you ready for dessert. Order reflects priority. In the Lord's Prayer, the order that's given to us is first, we are kingdom citizens, and then we worry about ourselves. The order of the model prayer prioritizes, listen, it prioritizes the kingdom of God and our citizenship in that kingdom 
over the cares and concerns of this life. It doesn't mean that we don't seek God's provision. It doesn't mean that we don't intercede for others. But it does reflect exactly what Jesus would teach in just a few verses there in Mark cha- or Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Listen, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The model prayer prioritizes our life. So with this model prayer, it leads us to the question, what do you seek in your prayers? What do you seek in your prayers? If you are finding that your prayer life is more about me and less about we, then it could be that you need to pay attention to the model prayer a little bit more closely. If you're finding that your prayer life is is more about your wants than it is about God's will being done, then it could be that you need to revisit the words of Jesus here. And and it likely represents a very high, high indication that you need a course correction in your prayer life. If your prayer life is simply, Lord, give me, give me, give me, give me, Lord, I need, Lord, I need, Lord, I need, without ever stopping to say, God, what I really need is your kingdom. What I really need is your righteousness. What we really need is for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we see those prayers come to fruition, we might just find that our daily bread is taken care of, that our trespasses have been forgiven. And I will say this, this model prayer needs to become more to you than just a litany of words. If it is a model, then let it guide you. At a former congregation, we were involved in a building program, and over the course of the construction process, I would come out periodically and talk to the project manager and ask questions about this and about that. And every time I asked him a question, one thing he was great at, he'd always have the blueprints out. And he'd always roll the blueprints out, and he'd always explain what was going on. And, and I was just curious, and you know, wanting to learn about things. And so he'd always explain what was going on in the course of, of, the, of the program. Because he understood something as a project manager, and it helped me to understand something as well. The model for the building was indispensable to his job. He couldn't just go out there and say, yeah, let's throw this thing together and see what happens. We didn't pay him to do that. We paid him to throw it together in accordance with the plans that we had laid out. And so that model became indispensable for him to be successful in his job. I would argue that this model prayer is indispensable to us in our walk as kingdom citizens. Again, memorize it, recite it, do all those things, but pay attention to the words that leave our mouths. Instead of simply a memorized litany, hoping that God will hear and respond, give it the attention that it warrants. Give it the respect that it deserves. And don't just treat it as a passing recitation whenever someone says, let us pray. Let's go to the Lord together. Our Father in heaven, you are holy, and we want you to be declared holy in our world. God, we seek your kingdom in a 
world that is broken in a world that is filled with sin. God, we want your will to be done on this earth as we know it will be done in heaven. God, you know that we have needs. Basic everyday necessities, God, come from your gracious hand. And we ask that you would meet those need in, needs in accordance with your will and help us to trust you when we don't see the needs at the end of your hand. Lord, as sinners, we need desperate forgiveness. We need you to forgive us of all of our wrongs, God, but we also need to extend that forgiveness to others. And God, protect our hearts from the evil one. Deliver us from his grasp. Lead us away from temptation. Guard our steps. It's a model that you've given us. One that we've memorized, one that we've learned. But it's so much more than just words. It points to remarkable truths that define us as citizens of the kingdom of God. And so, Lord, may we not pray like the hypocrites who pray that we might be heard. May we not pray like the pagans who throw together empty phrases. Instead, may we pray like citizens of the kingdom who are part of this incredible family, brothers and sisters, princes and princesses of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God, we ask that you would move now in our hearts as we seek to do your will. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.